you may come from a family where this trait was not accepted, was not nourished, and was not fostered. And so you may not have ever felt external love growing up. So a lot of highly sensitives that I work with now as a coach and just as, an, as one myself, we have been on a journey of self-love, of acceptance, self-compassion, and knowing we're worthy of everything despite feeling differently some days. Hey, I'm Donna Edda, and you're listening to The Interested Podcast, the show that brings you ideas for wellness. In this episode, Dr. Katie T. Larson and I talk about being a highly sensitive person is not a disorder. Dr. Katie is a growth and transformation specialist and founder of GrowthQuest, specializing in helping highly sensitive people, or HSP, integrate transformative experiences that are rarely spoken about, but still profoundly life-changing. So why is this conversation important? This is what I've learned from Dr. Katie. If you are a highly sensitive person and you don't know it, you can feel alone and sometimes even crazy. Imagine that this can be detrimental to a person's well-being. So in the next 60 minutes, Dr. Katie and I unpack the superpowers and challenges of a highly sensitive person, the role of an HSP in the world, the anxiety, depression, and misdiagnosis, the importance of finding your tribe and creating meaning in self-discovery. If you think you're an HSP, this is going to be mind-blowing for you. And even if you're not, this information will help you have a better understanding and hopefully lead to a healthier relationship with the HSPs in your life. Without further ado, here is Dr. Katie T. Larson. I'm really excited to talk about highly sensitive people today because when I came across your work, that really stood out. But the first reaction was high maintenance. And I think, oh, you know, we have to be so sensitive and talk about everything. Can you explain to us what is a highly sensitive person? Yeah. And I think that's a very great way to introduce that it's got a bad reputation at the moment because of the phrase snowflakes. You may have heard like the criticism of people who feel quite easily offended are snowflakes. And I wouldn't say that highly sensitive people are snowflakes per se, but we feel the world very strongly and very deeply. And so when you have this um, connotation of a highly sensitive person being high maintenance, you might be recognizing our tendency to be overly sensitive to our environment, right? And so what I'll do is I can actually break down what a highly sensitive person is first, because there's a really good acronym by the original researcher, Dr. Elaine Aaron. And we all love acronyms because they help us remember exactly what a highly sensitive person is. And so she uses DOES, D-O-E-S. So what I'll do is I'll just use DOES to describe what we are And then you can ask me more about our challenges because we do have challenges in this high maintenance, but we also have a lot of superpowers. So let's start with D. 
D stands for depth of processing, which means like we think very deeply about things, but not only do we think deeply, we we can connect really quickly into like novel situations. So if you and I are talking about something, we're not only just talking about what you and I, like that subject, but we're connecting it to everything we know about that subject in other situations. So that's why we make really good um, philosophers and academics, like well, we enjoy learning for learning's sake because we enjoy the depth. We are quick-witted, we have a great sense of humor, but we can also be really cynical because we understand the complexities of life. And a lot of times that means you can see the shadows as well as the light, right? So we are uncomfortable with just the superficial. We like to go deep because that's part of our characteristic in D, depth of processing. And then O, this is a one where maybe you're giving yourself a hard time on because O stands for overstimulation. And it does sound awful at first glance, but let's go for why it's also positive. We are very attracted as highly sensitive people to stimulation. So stimulation would be anything that our senses can interact with. So like I walked into this studio and for the viewers and listeners who don't know where this studio is, it's a leather shop. And I instantly said, oh, I love the smell of leather. And I like went up and smelled a bag right away. It's because we are so attracted to using our senses. We love shopping and like feeling all of the clothes. Like we'll feel every single sweater and like a pile of sweaters. We love interacting with lights, sounds, anything that can light us up. I know I listen to like certain classical music and it gives me like an eargasm, you know, like my whole body is just like, I love all of this music. And that's actually quite rare for a non-highly sensitive person. And so that's what we love about stimulation. But the O stands for overstimulation because we can very quickly hit a wall with our stimulation because we have a very narrow zone of peak or like perfect arousal. Like we're either too bored or too stimulated. There's a very narrow um, peak arousal because once we get a lot of stimulation, all of a sudden we just hit a wall and it's too much and it becomes overstimulating and our body goes into fight, flight, freeze. It just becomes over oversaturated and almost like burns out. And we need a lot more time to recover and rest and just be away from stimulus. So that is, again, it's a neutral co concept to love stimulation, but you will get overstimulated. So that's O. And E is we're very emotional and empathic, meaning we feel our emotions very deeply. Like we have a really rich inner world and we can discern between all of the emotions really easily. Like, you know, when you're starting a new job, you're like excited, but you're grieving the old job and you're nervous you're going to do good, good work and like you're going to miss your friends. And so you feel all of these complex emotions. You could peel out each one. And empathic for E stands for like we pick up on energies and not just like people's energies, but places, things. We can feel the vibrations or we can feel the sensations that are coming out of other people. And I know you'll ask me more about that later, but that's E. And the last letter is S, which is we're very sensitive to subtleties, subtle energies. So what this is, is like both we are using our internal senses very strongly. So um, we've 
again, we've mentioned the smell, like we're the ones that will say like, what's that smell? Like first, like we always are attuned to our environment because our senses are so highly calibrated. Um, but we're also noticing like invisible things where if we go out in, in a day and I'm walking with somebody who's not highly sensitive and we do the exact same tasks, we are more likely to be picking up on all of the invisible things, like the mood of the bus driver, like the smell of the curry, like the fish balls in 7-Eleven, like the flashing light that's in the crosswalk. Like we'll pick up on all of that and we don't always know it. And then by the end of the day, us and that other person we went out with, they will be fine and we will be absolutely exhausted because we are very acutely aware of our environment. So that is the, that is the acronym DOES, D-O-E-S. And those are like our main characteristics of being a highly sensitive person. Is this genetic? Yes. This has been researched now for almost 30 years. And what they're noticing as the technology increases and becomes more and more complex is that not only is this genetic, but we're using specific neurons in our brain that are different from the other non-highly sensitive population. And it's been um, measured that we're about 20% of the population. So one in five of us are highly sensitive. And I would say less than half of us know, right? Like this is becoming a quite new phenomenon in terms of having a label for it. And it's helpful to describe it as highly sensitive person as opposed to maybe a disorder, right? This isn't a disorder. This isn't a disability. It's just a description of a cluster of traits that tend to go with one another. And when you start to hear me describe this throughout the, the podcast, a lot of your listeners and your viewers are going to say, oh my God, that's me. And it makes your life make much more sense. Why would someone think it's a disorder? Mm. Well, as, you as I mentioned before, because we're acutely aware of our environment, we hit that overstimulation and that burnout phase a lot more quickly. And so it would seem, if you didn't understand that you're just someone who is sensitive to your environment, you would feel crazy, right? Especially, especially if you're in a family where, remember, you're one of five, Maybe you're the fifth one, right? And the, all the rest of the family is not sensitive. Um, you would start to compare yourself to somebody who doesn't feel like this. And you would think, why do I feel this way, right? Like for me as a kid, um, although I do feel like there are traits in both of my parents that are highly sensitive or more sensitive than normal, to be honest, I think I got this from my aunt, right? Like it's in the family and I have an aunt that is me. We're very similar to this. But when I was a kid, I felt abnormal in my family, right? Because although my parents are sensitive enough, there were times where I would be reacting as a highly sensitive child and they wouldn't know how to handle me. What was one of those scenarios? Uh, I love... I told you this when we met the first time. My favorite photo we have framed in my mom's house is like an Easter photo and everybody's smiling and they're like nice Easter outfits. And I have like puffy red eyes. I'm like eight years old. And you can tell I has just been crying so hard because my dad prior to the photo like kicked my cat out of the way. It was just like, get out of here, Tabby, and like kicked the cat. And being highly sensitive, two things happened. One, 
I was empathic enough to pick up on the energy of the cat that the cat felt hurt. And two, I would just question why he couldn't have done it in a nicer way. And it really hurt my feelings that he would hurt the cat so flippantly. And I was crying and crying and crying. And that is a highly sensitive kid. Like we're very attuned to our emotions and we can tell you exactly how we feel. I'm very disappointed. I'm sad that you kicked the cat. The cat is sad. But if the adult or the parent isn't that way, it just seems like you're a whiny baby. <laughs> But then there's a difference between someone who's been too sensitive than a disorder. So that's what I'm trying to understand. Mm -hmm. Why would someone think there's something wrong with them when maybe they just have a different characteristic trait? This is something that has, because it is a cluster of traits, this is something that has been misdiagnosed for about, what, ever, forever. Um, many people who are listening now, they may have been diagnosed with something else first. You may have been diagnosed as being on the spectrum of autism spectrum, or maybe OCD, or maybe bipolar, or maybe even um, just depressed or anxious. So really, it could be just a characteristic of being a highly sensitive person who is unaware and not taking care of themselves because we have certain qualities that need to be taken care of. Um, one of my favorite analogies is when Dr. Elaine Aaron, who's the original researcher in this, she has a great book. She has many books, but the original book is The Highly Sensitive Person. And in it, she describes highly sensitive people, we need to take care of ourselves as if we are a six-month-old baby, right? So we need to give ourselves food. This sounds so simple, but I'll just bear with me. Food, rest, and love. That's all a six-month-old baby needs, right? But highly sensitive person, we are the ones who get hangry, right? Like hunger, anger, like we get very angry and really get uh, uncomfortable when our blood sugar drops so low or we've been, you know, deep in thought or we've been out in stimulation and we're not eating or drinking. We get really frazzled. So feed ourselves good food often and you're a lot less likely to get frazzled. So, so simple. Sleep. We need rest. We need a lot of rest. And I, and I say, in my opinion, there's a difference between sleep and rest. And so we need sleep 100%. But we also need rest. For example, I, am, I live in a part of Hong Kong that is very calm and green and quiet. But coming here for this interview today, I'm going into the city. I'm being I'm bombarded with all of the city noises. It's very overstimulating for my sensitive nature. I will need, when I return home, maybe two hours of rest, like with no noise, no sounds, like no stimulation, because I need to recalibrate my sensitive system that's been bombarded by all of this. And what would happen if you don't? I'll get a migraine. Yeah, I'll get a migraine headache because I'm holding in all of the tension of the city in my body. So when I return home today, I'll go for a run, shake out all that energy, and then I'll rest in a quiet space because otherwise I won't have that time to recover. And so we need rest. And so if a highly sensitive person is listening and they're recognizing, like, I don't have time for two hours rest, like that doesn't work for me. Such Just, a luxury. <laughs> yes, exactly. Especially with kids. 10 minutes of white space, like no phone, no noise, no songs, music, podcast, nothing, just 
sit. If you meditate, great. If you pray, great. We'll just need to walk around in nature, choose your thing, but you need that in order to not get a, get a point of overstim or over, um, overdoing it. And then the last one's love for this little six month baby that we are inside is we need proper self-love. Sure. We need love in our relationships, but we need self-love because there are funny little quirks and tendencies that we have that can feel overwhelming when we are amongst non-highly sensitive people and knowing these little quirks of like, yeah, that's classic Katie. I have to leave a party after an hour and a half because I just have too much. Like it's just been too much. Like, and okay, it's time to go. Like put myself to bed. And like, that's just me and loving myself through it will be a lot easier than sitting there and beating yourself up about why am I like this? Why can't I just enjoy this party? Why am I so self-conscious now that I can't enjoy it? And then you're like watching yourself judge yourself because we're deep processors. So just allowing who you are to unfold naturally and loving that will really help as a highly sensitive person in your self-acceptance, self-compassion. It's interesting because I was expecting you to say love from the external world, but you went Mm -hmm. straight to Mm self-love. Because that's the most consistent and that's the most abundant. Because you may come from a family where this trait was not accepted, was not nourished, and was not fostered. And so you may not have ever felt external love growing up. So a lot of highly sensitives that I work with now as a coach and just as an, as one myself, we have been on a, jur- a journey of self-love, of acceptance, self-compassion, and knowing we're worthy of everything despite feeling differently some days. I want to I want to dive into the love part a little bit later, but let's get back to what if a highly sensitive person gets misdiagnosed? Well, I think one thing that when I say a journey of self-love, the journey is the destination in this, and that we are learning to love all of the quirks and tendencies of ourselves, no matter if you're highly sensitive or not, right? And part of that is looking at the darker, shadowy aspects of ourselves that we don't love. And the reason I say misdiagnose is that a lot of those diagnoses that I mentioned earlier, the solution to those is medication, at least now, right? Um, In the modern era, we've replaced good quality conversation and good quality self-introspection, reflection, and understanding Uh, with medication and pathologizing what could actually be a very normal, very necessary quality in our species. I'm just going to go on a tangent, but I will come back around to why it's important not to misdiagnose. We, as highly sensitives, we are this trait. You think evolutionarily, why would this survive, right? But we are also called... The, the visionaries, the storytellers, the healers, the priests. We are the characters in society that bring us forward. And we heal one another when we stumble and we fall down. So we are needed. This is a characteristic that is kept in the population because we have so much to offer. And when we look at this like a diagnosis or a disability, um, 
we are not taking up the opportunity to share our gifts. And so, like I mentioned before, we have these names, right? We are the storytellers. Why? Because the depth of processing, we connect, we make novel connections, and we have a really good sense of humor and an ability to share stories, right? And we are healers because we're empaths. We feel people's energies. And so where some of us would say, that's too much. I don't want to feel that. I want to turn that off. When we do that, when we try to turn off our gifts, they come out as other physical symptoms. And many highly sensitives that are listening might now hear me and say, ah, my back pain makes a lot more sense. My migraines make a lot more sense because I'm ignoring this gift. This is a gift I've had my whole life, but I didn't want it because when I turned it on, I don't know how to control it, right? So going back to what you mentioned of why don't we want to put this as a diagnosis or misdiagnosis, we're allowing ourselves to be, for our power to be taken away from us. And when we take things to numb that, or to disable that, um, changes who we are at a fundamental level. I'm just getting all emotional now, just thinking about um, having the power taken away from you. And I think this is the importance of this conversation for those who are highly sensitive and for them to understand that there's nothing wrong with them. Harness the power, harness the gift. And I think imagining what it would be like for us as a, as a culture to recognize the children that have this is imperative for us to empower these kids to be who they really are and to use those traits for the superpowers that they have available to them, right? I want to make clear that it's um, equally dispersed among the genders. So 50% are men, 50% are women, and 30% of us are extroverts and 70% are introverts, right? So highly sensitive people are not just no. introverts because I would assume that would be Exactly. Many people do. Uh, I personally am an extroverted highly sensitive. That's why I'm here, right? <laughs> like I, I came out in the world. I'm very gregarious and outgoing. However... I need a lot of time to recover after being in an extroverted situation, right? So knowing that can also be confusing because if you say to yourself, I'm an extrovert, why do I need so much space and time to refuel? But that's the highly sensitive nature. But I'm thinking of the kid. My, my daughter is highly sensitive. It's so obvious. She is very attuned to her environment. And some days it is too much. So, for example, if we get into a car, like a taxi that has like a little, um, like a air freshener hanging from it, she like has to cover her mouth because it's too much of a smell for her. And so knowing that she has this trait, I am encouraging her to use it when she needs to have a time out, not in a negative way, but like, hey, go, go take a break. Like, you don't need so much stimulation, right? Like, you see her with her friends, and you can just see her getting overstimulated by the lights and the sounds and everything. It's like, hey, come on, let's take a little break. Because a lot of, uh, when you watch our children, the ones that are highly sensitive, they don't have a vocabulary yet to say, mommy, this is too stimulating for me. So what do they do? They act out, right? Now imagine that same child grows up to be an adult, 
and you still don't have the vocabulary and you're getting overstimulated on a daily basis, what do you do? Your body acts out by giving you symptoms or you get depressed or anxious or you just shut down. You burn out. I know so many of my clients have burnout because they push and push and push and push and they're not listening to the cues that their body is giving them to cool it and like take a break and then they burn out. So knowing this and knowing you're one of these these types of people really allows you to create an environment for yourself where you can thrive. This leads me to the next question about highly sensitive people and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, are they more prone to anxiety and how does that look like and how can they deal with it? We are. We are more prone to a few things. We're more prone for depression, anxiety, and just on like a funny level like cynicism. But I'll start with anxiety because I myself really suffer from anxiety. But it's no mistake when my first bout with anxiety was. So when 9-11 happened, I was in university And it was the first time that I suffered from debilitating anxiety. But if you had asked me if I was following the news, I wasn't necessarily following it anymore. I mean, back then we didn't have the news on our phones, right? So it was just on in the background. But what happens is, as a highly sensitive person, we're picking up on the zeitgeist or the The milieu. The zeitgeist. So the zeitgeist is like the collective energy. It's what's occurring in the collective. And even if we're not necessarily following it on our, on our, not consuming the news, because we pick up on this energy at an unconscious level, we're picking up on all of the other surrounding anxieties, right? And so we have to ask ourselves constantly, is this mine? Because sure, you might have had a really bad day at work where your boss yelled at you and that caused anxiety, but you may also have a wonderful day at work, but then go home every single day and feel anxious and you don't know why. And many, many highly sensitive people have this, and it's because we're picking up on the collective. And now we're in a global pandemic. If you live in Hong Kong, we're coming out of a very politically unstable year as well. And the majority of us are still picking up on that uncomfortable energy and it's giving us collective anxiety and that can be very difficult but one of the ways that you can manage that is recognizing that that emotion lives in your body and you need to allow it out so doing movement dancing stretching yoga running whatever in order to get that out shaking i do a lot of shaking just get that energy out because you're just allowing it to kind of take residence in your body Yes, we are more prone to anxiety, and it's important to understand what's ours and what's not. We're also more prone to depression. And I say that is a result of D, the depth of processing. I personally am more prone for depression, but um, it's it's another German word. I'm going to say it wrong, but Weltschmelz, I think is the word. It means world pain. And what that is, is we have more ability to see the complexities of the world and that includes the terrible awful things right where when you're chatting with somebody and they're so excited about their new iphone a highly sensitive person's more likely to be like yeah but you know like kids are 
like slaves basically like mining that and then they have to build it and they're slaves and it's like you just can't stop thinking about the complexities that it takes to live a normal life and in order to function some days you need to turn that awareness off because it's such a downer it is it's such a downer and it only helps if you're in a position to do something about that righteous anger but if you cannot immediately act on it it festers right and it gives you frustration depression these types of things so it's important to be able to think smaller i think we talked about this originally instead of thinking of the world as a big 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 place it helps for both highly sensitive people and not highly sensitive people that shrink your world into 150 people and use your harness your energy to those 150 people because that's where you're going to make the difference as a highly sensitive person when you suffered from your anxiety first time in new york and depression what did it look like does do you feel it's different from those who are not highly sensitive it might be because i think there's a lot more about our environment that makes us nervous and i'm glad that we talked about being misdiagnosed because i was didn't know at the time i was highly sensitive i only learned i was highly sensitive about one year ago we can talk about that next but I was misdiagnosed as having um, generalized social anxiety disorder. And it was because I had gone from a very um, stable, somewhat quiet high school experience to a post 9-11 university experience where there was parties, just being in uni, not because of 9-11, but like just being in uni, you know, you have parties and alcohol and music and all these things. And those environments were giving me panic attacks because it was too stimulating. But at the time, I didn't know why, right? I didn't know why I was being panicked. And I was an extrovert, so why are being in social situations causing me panic? However, looking back now with this framework on, it makes perfect sense. I was spending all day long with the news blasting and the repeated visuals of the towers coming down during the day, and that's on my unconscious. Then at night, I'm given alcohol, and given like loud music, and I'm given loud social situations. And as a highly sensitive person, that will give me overstimulation every single time. And so of course, your body's just going to erupt in panic. But I will say, one of the treatments that I was given as a result of the diagnosis was, um, I can't remember the name now of the drug, but a drug that was supposed to calm me down. And what it did was it completely stabilized my feelings and my emotions, whereas before they were like a little, you know, peaks and valleys. And this completely stabilized my emotions. Now, at first glance, somebody might say, oh my God, that sounds wonderful. Sign me up. Give me that. And I do think that's why many of us are on these types of pharmaceuticals. But for me, it was terrible. It was too vanilla. It was too stable. I missed the highs. I didn't necessarily miss the lows, but I missed the being able to feel music being able to feel a sweater, being able to feel an orgasm, right? Like all of these experiences 
are a positive aspect of sensitivity that you miss out on if you medicate. How long were you on the medication for Not until long. you realized you didn't want to go on it? I was only on it for about three months, but you need to wean off. So maybe total about six months. But within three months, I knew this isn't right for me. Can you describe the anxiety itself? Because I want our audience to connect to maybe their own experience. Right. And so I'll put it in the context of now being in the global pandemic. What I and what some of my clients are experiencing is when you have a perfect on paper life, a life that you have created and on paper everything should feel comfortable. And then for no apparent reason, you will have physical symptoms of anxiety. So that could be heart racing, palm sweating, heaviness in the chest, tightness in the gut, um, headaches, these types of things. You may be manifesting the anxiety of the global collective inside of your body. Because if you ask yourself, is this mine? And your body says, no, this isn't yours. And sometimes it says, yes, it'd be like, yeah, it's because you're nervous about your kid getting into school, right? Your body never lies. Always ask your body. It will tell you, trust your body, trust your instincts, trust your intuition. If your body answers, no, it's not yours you are likely manifesting the anxieties of the world in your own body. And that's when you need to go for a run, shake it out, and have time out. That's when it's really important to get in your body and release, right? And give it permission to release. And then that can be anything that you just mentioned or more. I like to do this one thing. Um, it's not quite ecstatic dancing, but it's just feminine embodiment movement where like you just kind of get into this funny like mood and you oh, just move everything yes. and this is where I find I can really release the things that I've picked up you know I used to live in central and during lunchtime I would central Hong Kong for anybody that's listening that's not in Hong Kong but it's like the busiest right at lunchtime there's like millions of people in the city everybody's rushing around trying to get their lunch before you know lunch hour is over and I would be in the city and I would just feel uh, suddenly insecure not enough uncomfortable anxious all of these emotions and I'd say what the heck I just woke up in like the best mood ever like this why am I feeling like this and then after 2 p.m., it would just leave. And it wasn't until I realized, that's not mine. Like, those are not my emotions, right? Really? These are some, but this is the collective. And that is the E in the acronym does. This is the empath, right? Where you're picking up on somebody else's energy. And so if you are aware that that's not yours, you can more quickly say, that's not mine and let it slide right Instead that is of, insane right like you don't want to go around your whole day feeling not enough and insecure because you passed a woman on the street that felt that way yes right? absolutely. it's important to know the difference yeah let's go back to a year ago when you discovered mm. that you are an hsp yeah this is hilarious to me so i had known i was an empath maybe since my 20s so an empath for anybody listening that says hmm that sounds interesting what is this we are the ones who can pick up on the emotions and the sensations even of another person. Our mirror neurons are much more active. So we, we even watch like television and like if 
like somebody on the TV like kicks a ball, like we feel like we kicked the ball, right? We have a hard time watching television or movies that are violent or scary because we're feeling it inside. So that's what an empath is. And I've known I've been that maybe nearly 20 years now. But I didn't know I was highly sensitive until last year when I was studying, and I'm still studying to become this, by the way. Another coaching certification that I'm studying for is something called Coaching for Spiritual Emergence. What that is, is for all of us who are waking up in this moment, who want someone to speak to about this experience, I am that person, right? But part of the modules of the, of the course, there was a phrase saying, highly sensitive people are more likely to experience peak experiences, which is something that I'm very passionate about as well. We can go into yeah, soon. Peak, I want to talk about peak, peak experiences. experiences. Yeah. And I know a lot about peak experiences, but I didn't know what a highly sensitive person was. So of course you go down the Google click hole and you get into all of these clicks and then you go into Dr. Elaine Aaron's website and she has a quiz. I take the quiz and I find out I am like almost the absolute highest form of highly sensitive person on her quiz. And so I start reading about it and watching videos. And I'm like, this explains my whole life, everything, everything from my sensitivity to like, I always hated tags in my clothing, um, to being able to eat a meal and like feel the sensations of each piece of food and like enjoy like stupid things like when I eat an almond I have to like crack it in half like a certain way and like it just feels so nice on my tongue to feel like the almond split in half like those sensations right to I have a PhD I love the depth of understanding I love thinking strongly or thinking deeply about things and I love feeling strongly about the world and so it suddenly gave my life so much more meaning and so much more sense looking backwards using this framework. And I have to say, I love personality tests. Like I do them all, right? Like I know everything. I love astrology. I love MBTI, like Myers-Briggs. I love Enneagram. I love everything. But there's always something it's missing, you know, like, oh, it doesn't quite catch this part of me and this does yeah but I'm not like that you know like I'm an Aries yeah like I'm an Aries but I'm not like stubborn you know like you have all of these things but highly sensitive person for me hit the nail on the head every single one and I thought this is this is life-changing and now seeing myself through this framework I now recognize when others are in this framework, which has helped me be a better coach. And this is now who I work with almost exclusively and be a better parent because my daughter is highly sensitive, right? And so not everyone I meet is, remember we're only one in five, but when I meet someone that is, I am more in a better position to help serve them. Oh, I love that. That's so interesting how your own self-discovery has really gave you purpose more focus. I feel like a disciple for the highly sensitive people because this can be life-changing when you find out. I have a student, so I used to be a high school science teacher. That was my first career. I have a student who's now 30. So I taught him when he was like 15. He contacted me recently on Facebook Messenger about something totally different. And as we were talking, I'm remembering this kid and I'm think, 
this kid is, this kid was highly sensitive, like a hundred percent. And so I said, do you know about highly sensitive? Do you know anything about this? No, I know nothing about it. I said, watch this video, go take this quiz and just read this blog. Come back to me in a couple of days. And he said, oh, you're still giving me homework all these years because he's a former student. I said, just look into it. He writes me back. And I love it when I wake up in the morning to like one of these long like text messages on, on Messenger. And he's like, this just changed my life. Everything in my life makes much more sense. I was the kid in kindergarten who got picked on for crying. I was always bullied for being sensitive. I thought I was gay because I've been hanging out with women my whole life because I appreciate their emotional sensitivity. I think I'm just highly sensitive. So it's like we go back to our conversation about being misdiagnosed. Not only do we diagnose ourselves as something as a pathology, but we can also go into a direction of our lives where he said, I thought I was gay. I don't think I'm gay. I think I just really appreciate sensitive people, right? Like I'm a sensitive person and it's life changing for him, right? And so again, it's, we're not all highly sensitive. We're on a spectrum of sensitivity, but when you're on the higher end of the spectrum, when you find this out about yourself, it really does change your whole life. The, the sexuality for men who are highly sensitive is very interesting. When I was doing the research, that was a very common thread that kept coming up where people or they themselves would think they're gay, and it's very confusing. Right. Yes. I also have another friend who had a really long questioning period in his life, and now, through this framework, when we had a conversation, I said, do you think you're highly sensitive? He goes, well, that makes that part of my life make a lot more sense because I'm in touch with my emotions. I can feel other people's emotions. I have um, an attraction to other people who are in touch with their emotions, regardless of their gender, right? So it's, it is something, I'll mention that attraction to others like us, because I think that's important to, to mention. Finding our tribe is vital. We cannot be with non-highly sensitive people for long before we want to die of boredom, you know? Like, I cannot sit in a group and talk about the brand of diapers my child uses like anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, I it just totally doesn't understand. it just doesn't do it for me and if I thought that was my only choice for friendships I would think I was crazy that I want to talk about what the meaning of life is. Well, I think it's so wonderful to think of all the highly sensitive people coming together creating the tribe and actually the power of critical mass and actually could have a wonderful shift in our society. We are in charge of finding the others. We are. And when you learn about things like spiral dynamics, and we don't have to go down that direction, Google spiral dynamics, everyone listening, one of the aspects of spiral dynamics is in order to shift consciousness on a global collective, we need to reach a critical mass that is around 10%. And so as highly sensitives... When we are aware of our sensitivity enough and we kind of create this overall awareness that we exist in the world and we start really embodying and empowering ourselves, we become the ones who create the art, the movies, the films, the, the things that the non-highly sensitive people are consuming 
that will sway them just enough to hit that critical mass of 10% and erase our consciousness as a collective. So why is knowing who you are so important to the planetary? Because when we know ourselves, we step more fully into what we're meant to be doing, our real purpose. And when we step more fully into that real purpose, then we're pushing the collective because we're encouraging others to do the same. Well, for those who are highly sensitive, reach out to Katie. She is all ears. (laughs) I want to go back to peak performances. Peak experiences. Experiences. Peak experiences. So this is part of my PhD research. So if I, all of a sudden, my words become very nerdy and academic sounding, that's to blame. Okay. So a peak experience is an amazing experience that we all have at some point in our life where we touch the numinous. We experience the numinous. Please unpack that. (laughs) Well, Donna, let me tell you about the numinous. I have since said it's experiencing the vertical dimension, but I'm going to tie it all together. Let's say your normal life, you're existing on the horizontal dimension. And the horizontal dimension is mostly where we engage one another. It's what we um, live day to day. It's like what you would put on your CV. Like I was a science teacher and then I was a chef and then I was a coach. Like it's what you do. Um, And it's basically everything that can be measured, everything that can be described in the physical dimension. And I would say, I'm just making up this number, but I would say like 80 to 90% of us live completely on the horizontal dimension for the majority of our lives. However, there are fleeting moments where we touch something numinous, which I say exists on the vertical dimension. And the vertical dimension is where you experience the eternal, the timeless. I always separate it into the north and the south. And the numinous usually exists mostly in the north. So I'll start there. The north is all that is. It's the universe, it's God, it's the sacred, it's the divine. It's the the support and the energy that you have that's all around you and always was and always will be regardless of you. And when you tap into the north, you feel a connection to the spirit, right? And it makes you feel tiny, but amazed. Right. And so this happens to us when we see, I mean, it's something as simple as seeing an amazing sunset to maybe you are now part of something like, I think a lot of the protesters in Hong Kong would feel part of that numinous being in thousands of people that are almost acting as a collective where we are tapping into an ideal There is an ideal that is very important that transcends me and you on our on our horizontal life, and that is where a lot of people connect to the numinous is in the north. But there's a south in the vertical dimension, which is all you are, and that is your soul, your essence, your being. It's who you are meant to be, even when you're not being it. It's the callings. 
the purpose. It's the gifts that you have to offer. And that is numinous as well, because when you tap into it, it's almost like you hear something beyond yourself calling you to be the self you're meant to be. And highly sensitive people are much more in touch with the intuitive sides of ourselves. And so we connect to this numinous vertical dimension often. And it's a great place to visit, but you cannot live there. You cannot live there. And it's very difficult when you are constantly trying to live there because our life is meant to be lived on the horizontal dimension with just little visits to the vertical here and there. And so one of the things that I do as a coach is I help people tap into that vertical dimension for longer and longer pockets. But again, don't expect to live there. You can only visit there. Why can't we live there? What would happen if you stay there for too long? I think the most amazing moments of our lives are when you visit it. You want to stay there, right? Like for me, like psychedelic experiences or I have past life memories or I have even the process of childbirth itself. You touch into the, you tap into these. But if you were to live there constantly, you would fry your circuitry as a human being you just don't have most of us don't have the hardware i'm using the really funny words hardware circuitry but we just don't have the ability to maintain the infinite amazing wonderful power that is in that dimension long enough do you think it's a muscle that we can train i do actually what I kind do. of things can we do to train it well many of us when when I mentioned all of the things that we are trying to tap into, you'll notice, oh yeah, that's what I try to do when I meditate, or that's what I've been trying to connect with when I pray. So the vertical dimension is like this like river that wants to flow and we want to like capture it into like a little jar. But the minute you put it in a little jar, it's no longer flowing. It's not magical anymore. It's stagnant water right? So we've created these like churches and temples and things to try to capture that sacred energy. So we have been doing this for centuries, right? We, we, we do try to tap into this and you can, right? Through practice, like praying, meditation, that is one way, but you also accidentally tap into it. And so the muscle you would increase in order to recognize when you're accidentally tapping into it, it's just awareness, right? Because you can tap into it a lot more if you're aware and just stop. Like, you know, it's, I wasn't necessarily tapping into the numinous when I smelled those handbags, but I stopped and smelled the freaking leather handbags. I don't and think you're like, the first person that came and go, right, let me sniff Exactly. And for like a split second, I was somewhere else in this world of indulging in that, right? So indulge in your senses. You don't need to be a hedon, right? You don't need to live a hedonistic life, but by indulging in the parts of you that tap into all that is and all you are, you will be more likely to make meaning, find purpose, and live a life of joy. We have established now that a highly sensitive people is a deep thinker. For sure. And a big piece of it is they're also people who look for meaning in yes. life. Let's dive into that and talk about meaning. I think in addition to 
being a highly sensitive disciple, I feel a strong pull towards being a disciple for meaning because I feel like we have lost the meaning of life. And I do strongly believe the meaning of life is to make meaning. But we've a little bit hijacked the meaning of life with finding happiness. And when we substitute happiness for meaning, you are constantly trying to grab onto an ephemeral, fleeting, impermanent situation where what gives you happiness in one second, like opening up your Instagram and be like, I got a new follower. Like that little momentary moment of happiness is now something you're chasing in order to consistently regain that feeling. Whereas meaning, it exists in the vertical dimension. It is part of how we make our belief system is through making meaning. And that is more eternal. It changes and it should change, right? Our meaning should change in the sense of something that we made meaning of as a child in light of some new information, you can make deeper meaning, right? Especially like what we've been talking about now in light of being a highly sensitive person, I make meaning of my experiences in a different way. But that meaning is what's going to carry with us through our lives and will be what we have on our deathbed. We won't be sharing with our grandkids, I once had 7,000 likes on Instagram and it was the best part of my life we will make meaning, we will share the meaning of our lives. Loving you was the most meaningful thing I've done. Um, becoming an educator was the most meaningful thing I've done. So meaning has so many different meanings. See what I did there? And I can talk about each one, but I know we're running out of time. But finding meaning in your life, I think should be almost everyone's Top priority. I think my biggest meaning in my life that I have discovered is actually doing this podcast, holding space and having these conversations purely because to serve women out there and to, to support each other. And now these days when I struggle, when I have self-doubts, it doesn't faze me because the meaning is so much bigger than myself. It is really in the vertical dimension. But it took me so long to get there. Mm-hmm. How can people get there quicker? Are there, are there methods that can help others out there? Yeah, find and meaning? I will distinguish between meaning and purpose because I think that will help the listener. So what I was talking about was purpose? It might be more purpose. And okay. here's why. When we go back to the vertical dimension... We find our meaning in in the north, and we find our purpose in the south, and here's why. The meaning tends to come from your relationship to the mystery, all that is, God, the universe. Like, what is your relationship with that, right? Like, if if you have a meaning where you're like a nihilist and you're like, nothing matters, then your purpose is going to be reflective of that. You're not necessarily going to, if nothing matters to you, your purpose isn't going to feel as um, uh, motivational, 
right? You're just going to kind of live haphazardly because you didn't necessarily find much meaning in that mystery that we just described. I would reckon your meaning of the mystery and the divine and the collective and all that is, you have made some form of belief system that we matter, women matter, our experience matters, our story matters. That's your meaning. That's what was the original seed that connected to the purpose because the purpose is our gifts, skills, and abilities. And although I know you've learned a lot of this, you have a natural gift for listening, right? You are an amazing listener, an amazingly curious person. That is your gift. Tie it in with your purpose, and now you have a career, right? And so your purpose is if women matter, our stories matter, and I have a gift to listen, then my new purpose is to create a podcast, right? And I think what we mistake often as purpose is we need to feel like purpose should connect to our career. And it doesn't always need to do that. You will be just as successful using a purpose that is in your home, with your children, with your adult parents, a stranger on the MTR. Like your purpose will evolve often, But your purpose is like a little journey that you go on for like a little chunk of time that is tying together how you're making meaning currently with what you're meant to be doing with that. If that makes sense. How else can meaning, can the meaning look like? Lessons. It's lessons. Another way of looking at meaning is what was the lesson you learned because of X, right? So... That's why meaning isn't always happy. I think you and I talked about one of the most sad and emotional, meaningful experiences that I've ever had was when my dad was very sick and he hold he held my hand and he was almost dead. And he said, now it's up to you to take over the family. And side note, like he actually got better. It was quite a miracle. He's still alive today. But in that moment of him holding my hand, I was not happy. That was like the farthest thing from being happy. But it was very meaningful because it showed me that my dad trusted me enough to be the new matriarch, right? To be the one who carried on the lineage to keep our family together to use the qualities that he appreciated in me to keep the family going. So what is the lesson behind that, right? Like how am I feeling behind what that experience? What's your lesson? I didn't know my dad appreciated my skills and my gifts as much as he did when he said that because it really shows that he values the way I interact with the family And my role in it was important. And also, I think it was a rite of passage of adulthood. I think meaning comes out a lot more in rite of passages or in very big life moments. It will feel significant, meaningful moments, right? They feel significant. They feel like peaks because even if they're not happy, it means something really deep is happening to you that's influencing you on a essence level. And I think for me, that was almost like a passing of the baton 
of you are the adult now, you know? And I feel really grateful that he's still alive because I can now have that experience in my memory of, wow, my dad really respects me. He might not say it day to day of like, you're a really cool person and I really respect you. But like just that moment allows me to feel a little bit more equal to him because he was willing to give me that. So am I correct to say that you cannot create meaning, but you can just be open and be aware to it? Yeah, and sometimes we discover meaning, right? Like your meaning and my meaning will be totally different because you might take away. That's why I love storytelling is that the best stories don't tell you the meaning behind it. The best, oh, it bugs right? me. I'm always trying to figure out the meaning. I can never get it. But that's but your meaning is the meaning, right? Like I'm a part of a, a storytelling group. And one of the things that we always do for new storytellers is when they're auditioning to do a live storytelling, what they always do is try to tell you the point of the story or the meaning or the lesson in the story. And we'll say, take it out. Take that out because you want the audience to make their meaning because then you're going to walk away with 70 different meanings versus if you tell the meaning, then if somebody's like, I don't think that's the meaning, then you've lost that person. Right. So like the best, the best art makes you say, what does that mean? And some people hate that. Yeah. Like some people hate that. And like, they'll go and Google it. Like, you know, like I'll like Google the significance of like lyrics to songs. I'll be like, what does that song mean when they say, you know, the end is near, like what end, you know, but really regardless of what Google says, the, the fact that you were even wanting to make meaning of that is significant because the art moved you enough to poise itself to give you an opportunity to plug into the numinous, to the vertical dimension. Oh, I love that. Lastly, I want to talk about HSP parents and how we can, how we can parent and how we can nourish our children who are HSPs. Yes. So firstly, remember, this is a genetic trait. So chances are if your children Chances are if you are an HSP or your partner, a lot of us listening right now might say, this, this isn't me, but this is my partner, right? Just paying closer attention to your children and picking up the book, The Highly Sensitive Child, will really help because they will exhibit a lot of the similar characteristics that you struggled with as a child and you may have wanted a different parenting style, right, as a result. So... For example, right now, my daughter is getting easily overstimulated based on the types of toys that people market to toddlers, which are loud, <laughs> light, like too many lights. And like even television shows right now, I feel like who is making these television shows where like the music is constantly playing? Like just let the freaking characters talk without music. But okay, I digress. Recognizing that if they are consuming a lot of stimulation in their day, it will help you immensely to create space and time for them to recuperate, having less stimulation, going for walks, getting in nature. See, a lot of highly sensitive people need to ground, meaning they need to be in nature. They need to have their feet 
physically on the ground or they need to do things where they're in touch with their lower chakras because we kind of live in our upper chakras a lot as sensitives. So getting ourselves into our body, encouraging your child to understand that their body is picking up on a lot of sensations and it's okay to let it kind of expel that during the day through exercise or through some kids now are meditating, right? Just giving them the tools that they need because they're already going to have these traits. You cannot turn them off. They're, they're, I think that's vital you to know. You don't want to turn them off. Don't I turn think. them off. If they are creative, if they are, if they are crying when watching a movie because the character in the movie lost their bunny, your child is likely sensitive, maybe highly sensitive. So instead of saying, oh, it's just a movie, honey, asking them, well, why, do you, why is it sad? What makes it sad? Are you feeling sad because of the character? Because a lot of times what they'll answer is, I'm sad because the character is sad. So then you have a teaching opportunity of, honey, that's not your feeling. It's good you feel that feeling and you know she's sad, but it's okay. You don't have to carry that feeling with you. Oh, wow. That's a really good tip. Right. I'm noticing now my child is picking up on my own moods. And so I have to say, Mom, that's mommy's mood, honey. That's just mommy's mood. It's okay. Because I was that way, right? I picked up on my own mother's moods. And so you'll start to notice that if you can give your child the vocabulary, even just using the phrase overstimulated, I need a break, this isn't mine, you know, like these like really simple phrases, you're giving them a vocabulary that they can use for the rest of their life to communicate about this. Going off from the vocabulary side, I want to build on that because when my, I think my daughter is highly sensitive and she used to cry a lot at schools and stuff. And I remember a few kids came up to me one day in class and this is in primary school and she was crying and they're like, oh, why is she crying all the time as if it's a bad thing? And I was able to just say, she just has a lot of feelings. She has big emotions and that's okay. I love this. And you know what? I'm going to go on to, I'm going to put my academic hat on for a moment. I did write a book called Freckles Felt Fine on Amazon now. And (laughs) this is about emotions. And the academic hat is we as humans, we are unable to distinguish between emotions until we have the vocabulary word for it. It's a symbiotic relationship. And so the book I wrote, Freckles Felt Fine, it goes through all of the different emotions that a little fish feels as it goes on an adventure. And you are teaching the child the feeling word. Because once a child can distinguish between disappointment and anger, you can now allow them to understand that when you don't do your chore, Mommy is disappointed in you. I'm not angry. And that is something that is, the reason we need to learn this is because all of those simple emotions like fear, anger, joy, disgust, you know, the ones from the Inside Out movie, they live in the most primal part of the brain. And if we never had any vocabulary words for other emotions, then you would only use that part of your brain. But the more you include new vocabulary words, then you're using the prefrontal cortex part of your brain. 
And that allows us to communicate and in order to regulate our emotions better if we just simply know the word. So if you're noticing that your child is highly sensitive, giving them the vocabulary words for their emotions will do them wonders because being an emotionally literate person is halfway to being an emotionally intelligent person. I think this is also really helpful with how to explain yourself in a a social setting where others might not understand how you're feeling. Yes, especially like what I do now when I leave parties, I just say overstimulated and just go, you know, like, get it. Yeah. Like I gotta go. Or even, um, telling friends, I can only spend time for two hours because after that I need a break. It's nothing personal, but I need a break. And this is part of creating healthy boundaries. Right. And I think most highly sensitive people and empaths have difficulties with boundaries. So part of the healthy boundaries is learning what you need, then communicating what you need by saying, I need X because it helps me Y. Like I need space because it helps me decompress and not get overwhelmed. And no one can argue that. Do you know? Like, I think that's, that's what I've learned as an empath and as a highly sensitive is that you need to make it clear for people that what you are experiencing is not imagined and that you are your authority and you have the power to tell people what you need to function in the world. That's really, really helpful. Are there any closing thoughts on this topic that you would like to share or something that I've missed? Hmm, because you're you such the, a good interviewer. You're now the advocate. for highly sensitive people holding the space. This is a genetic condition. There's so many wonderful things that come with this trait and people should embrace it, nurture it. It is not something to get rid of because we need you guys. And so anything else you would like to share? My mind is highly sensitive. It's like going through every single thing I could possibly share. I want anyone listening that is suddenly having an aha moment to go and research this further, right? And I have a quiz on my website and Dr. Elaine Aaron has a quiz on her website. We'll put all these in the show notes. Right, and watch the videos, read the books, read the blogs, join the Facebook groups. If you feel this is you, find the others because something that you may never ever have attributed to being highly sensitive but has been driving you crazy, suddenly, when you do the research, it's like the first page in the book that will say, by the way, we have this tendency. And you'll say, oh my gosh, and your mind will be blown. And all of a sudden, everything in your life will make sense and you will have normalized what you have been pathologizing. And I think that is my my purpose in this moment is you are not abnormal. You are normal and you're extraordinary. So I hope highly sensitives and empaths walk away from this interview feeling a little bit more empowered. Fantastic, Katie. Where can our audience find you? I am on uh, growthquests.com is my website and my Instagram is Dr. Katie Growthquests, Dr. K-A-T-I-E Growthquests. And we have a Facebook page, Facebook slash growth quests. And 
yeah, I work almost predominantly with highly sensitive people, but I also work with non-highly sensitive men and women as well. Great. Thank you so much for your time. This conversation has been so amazing, really empowering. Thank you. And I'm sure it's going to help so many people out there. You're a great interviewer. This is your purpose and you have that great gift. So thank you. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Katie. We invite you to play full out. Embrace your gifts and your quirks. I would love to hear from you. Your feedback encourages me and it helps other people find the podcast. If you appreciate the information I share, please write a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, or just come and say hi on my Interested Podcast Facebook page. The show notes of this episode are on my website, interested.blog. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend.